Hello and welcome to Conversation, a political podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and welcome to episode four. Before we get into the topics, uh, we have some uh, business we have to get into. First, we launched an Indiegogo campaign because it takes a lot of time and effort for us to put the podcast together, and we also have to pay for the hosting. So if you think we're good enough, um, please donate. Any money is helpful. And we're going to take all the money that we get through Indiegogo, in, through Indiegogo and put it back into the podcast. So that'll pay for hosting and trying to spread the word so that more people can listen to us. And we also have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. And we'll, we'll have links to all of those for you. And please, if you have any suggestions for us or anything you want us to talk about, we're completely open to suggestions, a tweet at us or comment or whatever. Uh, and with that, I'm going to jump right into the cast for today. So we've got Sean McCoy with us. What's up, guys? We've got Will. Joe. Hello. And we got Zach, who is new here this week. Hi, I'm Zach Benzwitz. I'm a senior in high school. I do fencing, and I wear white Converse shoes sometimes. All right, thank you, Zach. And now, so this is kind of a special episode. We're talking about a current event, and it's not necessarily, it's not related to the election. But in case you don't know, I think it was Wednesday uh, in Virginia, there was a news reporter and a cameraman shot and killed by a guy who was an ex-employee who wanted to basically get revenge, and there was a whole thing about how after the Charleston shooting, the shooter was black, and after the Charleston shooting, he basically felt that racism was out of control and that he needed to get back at white people, so he went and shot these guys, and it was he waited until it was on live TV, and not only that, he took a video from his point of view, uh, basically uh, and showing everything that happened, and then he posted it on Twitter after, which is really kind of horrifying. And now that that's happened, it's kind of restarted the whole gun control debate and everything here in the country. So we figured we'd weigh in on it. And I'll just start here with my point of view. I'm personally, I'm against gun control because I think a lot of this, and especially in this, in this situation, a lot of it has to do with mental health. I mean, somebody like this, regardless of if they have a gun, if you are that messed up to essentially, I mean, well, this is a guy, first of all, who had violent tendencies in the past. And he basically was blaming everything on other people, and then his solution to that was to go out and kill people. Somebody who has that kind of thought process, no matter what kind of weapon they have, they're going to be a danger to themselves and others. And I think our primary concern should be helping people like that, because if you can help them, they can live a successful life in the community, and you don't need to worry about if they have a gun or not. I think uh, one of the problems in this situation is that mental health is so nuanced. So, you know, it's hard to tell if somebody's really having mental issues that you know, could make them possibly dangerous to the rest of the population. But I think in this case, this is somebody who was taken off the premises when he was fired for, you know, demonstrating violence towards his coworkers. And, you know, he was he was already somebody that people, other people were concerned about. And yeah, he didn't want to leave the building. They had to call the cops because they were afraid for themselves when they fired him. Yeah, and, you know, I think the problem in this situation is that in order to make sure that we can still have a legally armed society, we need to make sure that we do make some sacrifices. So yeah, you know, we don't want to control guns to the point where, you know, it's impossible for a person like, you know, a person with no criminal record to obtain one. But, you know, in the case that somebody has shown violent tendencies or, you know, even had he bought the bought the weapon before he was taken off the premises by police, you know, there should be some policy in place to make sure that people who have demonstrated violent tendencies are disarmed. But uh, I know, Will, you are on the complete opposite side of this. I know you're pro-gun control, so do you want to weigh in there? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd love to weigh in. Um, I think um, America has a uh, sort of like a sick gun culture, and we've had this um, for years and years and years. I think 
Um, I think a lot of the violence in this country, you see, you see uh, around like 10,000 people per year being killed by, by gun violence. I think a lot of that is totally preventable. I, I think a lot of people write off the gun violence as as simply um, as simply a natural occurrence of society, but I, I refuse. You know, I, I refuse to to believe that that gun violence is, is is uncontrollable. I think there are very simple solutions we can take to to reduce the amount of people who are killed each year by gun violence. I I read a statistic a while ago. I'm not sure if it's accurate, but uh, but the points the points the same um, that. More people have been killed in the U.S. from gun violence than from the last three wars combined, um, from Vietnam, World War II, and World War I. So I, I think right now gun violence is a national embarrassment and a national tragedy. Um, I think we urgently need uh, um, need background check laws at the federal level. We also need, um, need laws uh, restricting access to, uh, to assault rifles and, um, and to... Uh, uh, to military-style weapons, I'm not. I'm open to um, to people owning handguns or or light weapons um, for self-defense, but uh, but right now we have a, a proliferation of just these really dangerous military-style um, assault rifles, and that has to stop. But how do you feel about in other countries where there have been imposed gun bans? The the uh, the murder rates and gun violent rates have not gone down. Like people are acquiring these weapons illegally, whether they're legal or not, and yeah. and a lot of the the yeah. legal um, acquired actually, weapons aren't uh, used for the like same crime. A counterexample of that: um, Australia, in I think that 1993 or 1994, audience, you can uh, fact check that. Um, it's but it's around like the early 90s. Um, they uh, actually introduced a gun buyback program um, a while a while back, and they uh, they actually uh, bought back virtually every gun in in the in the country and. Um, and their murder rate has sky has um, has, has dipped um, to almost zero. Um, and well, not not their murder rate in total, but like their murder rate in terms of of, of gun violence. So um, so I think I, I wouldn't say Australia is a perfect analog to the U.S. I think there's a lot of a lot of like yeah, the, it's a totally different country. Situation. So um, I wouldn't support buying back like all guns in the U.S. That would be insane. But um, but I think there are situations where, like, severely limiting um, people's access to guns does, in fact, reduce gun violence. And, you know, uh, the problem, though, is I think that by saying gun violence is preventable is really missing the point. I completely agree. Gun violence is preventable. We can bring an end to a lot of the gun violence that we have in the United States, but we can't bring an end to violence. You know, gun violence is preventable, but violence is not because, the you know, in every single situation we've seen, the actual weapons were a means rather than an end. In the most recent case, he had an end. So the end was that he wanted to incite a race war. And whether or not, you know, a gun was the weapon he used, that was, that was a means. That was an arbitrary means. And, you know, we're, you, know you can eliminate guns all you want, but there's well, still going to be other means to... To jump right in here, I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, the biggest school mass killing that ever happened was back in the 1920s. And it was, I believe, a janitor who just started bringing dynamite into the school and, like, hit it in a supply room that only he had access to and then blew it up one day. I mean, that's, that's not guns. That's somebody with a mental issue. And I think that's the key here. That, I mean, I think there's two things here. First of all, people, uh, a lot of people who commit gun crimes like the person in Virginia or, like, an Adam Lanza in, in Sandy Hook, 
they're doing it because they have a mental problem and whether or not they have a gun, they're going to do some harm to themselves or others. And on the, on the other side, I mean, you can never really take back guns. Guns are so ingrained in American culture. Like, I, I want to say Switzerland has a complete gun ban and they have almost no violence there. But that's something in, in Swiss history. Guns have never been a big part of their culture. Versus Just here, to correct you, Matt, for a second, you said they have a complete gun ban. No, uh, they're very, very loose gun control, but, you know, keep going. Oh, I, I, the wrong country, wrong country then. But there's, I, it might be a Scandinavian country, but the, the point still stands. There are countries out there where gun can, they have very severe gun control, and, uh, but they've never had a gun culture anyway. But here in the United States, when you look at a state like Texas or Florida or Arizona, everybody has guns. They're ingrained in our culture ever since the Revolutionary War, and you couldn't take them away effectively because people would fight back. I mean, if you wanted to start a civil war the fastest way, it would be to take away people's guns. Talk, talk about something like Columbine, though. So in Columbine, it was a situation where somebody who was allowed in the school did something to hurt the people around them. And, you know, the scariest part about it is this. Uh, a lot of schools nowadays are, nowadays are adopting security measures. Like our, like our school, for example, our school, yeah, has, our school is built a new entrance. Uh, it's a double door entrance, and you have to be let in by the office. You know, you, you have to basically be let in by the office twice because they ha they have to open both sets of doors for you, so they can make sure that you're somebody they want to let in. But the scariest thing about it is that that only prevents people who aren't normally in the school from getting inside. Now, okay, so let's suppose a situation where, for example, a, a current let's, student. Let's say another Columbine, and there's a current student whose ends, not his means, his ends is to kill the students around him. Now, you know, whether or not he has access to a gun is irrelevant because, you know, he'll, they'll find a means, for example, the Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City bombings. A fertilizer bomb or It's something knives. as simple as a fertilizer bomb. They can find the means to do so. And once they're inside the building, it doesn't matter. It's really, I mean, we can focus on the, we can focus on the weapon that we're using, but we're really missing the point of the conversation. It's violence that we should be afraid of, not gun violence. Well, and the other thing here is that no matter what kind of laws you put in, there's still going to be things like school shootings and mass killings and targeted killings like the one we saw in Virginia. You're not going to be able to get rid of them. So I think the real important thing here is to basically focus on helping people who have the issues that would lead to that anyway. Because I, I would actually contest that. I, I think when you look at um, uh, the Brady Bill, the passage of the Brady Bill in the 80s. Um, What's the Brady Bill? Actually, uh, that was a, a reaction to the, uh, the shooting of... Um, uh, James Brady, Reagan's press secretary in, in the assassination attempt on Reagan's life. Um, and I think um, a lot of uh, gun violence you saw was, was kind of like curbed between, uh, between then and, uh, the, and when uh, the George W. Bush administration let the ban on assault weapons. Um, but you're still talking about gun violence. You're not talking about violence in general. Access to guns is really what what makes a, a, like a violent person be able to commit much more violent acts. Take the okay, so take the case of something like an Oklahoma City bombing. It was a violent person who wanted to do something violent. He did something that was even more dangerous than some somebody with uh somebody with a weapon. And you know, especially nowadays, politicians and you know even local community leaders, like for example, in the case of our school, are focusing on things that make other people around them comfortable with the fact that, okay, well, it looks like we're heightening security measures and well, it looks like we're making it more difficult to commit crimes with, let's say, assault weapons. But one other thing I'd like to point my finger to is this. I think one of the things I noticed when, uh, there, were the, when there were the issues in Ferguson was that there was a big outrage against how 
basically weaponized the police force was. Now, people like to think that this was an analog to a standing army, which in some ways I agree with. Like, look at the things that they had. It was essentially... I mean, a lot, a lot of times, just to jump in here quickly for a second, the police in some places will have will actually have tanks and military vehicles because they're sold from the military to them when they don't need them. And, and the, same, the same demographic that was upset that the police had so much power was the very same demographic that's been getting upset about, about gun violence. And the thing is, you know, for, for a lot of people, the gun issue is, a, is, a, is about values. And, you know, it's hard to contest values, but for some people, they feel that the most dangerous thing is an unarmed society. Yeah, now, it's, a, it's a symbolic gesture against the power of the government, so the, and the people can feel like they have power, too. In the case, I mean, I know this I is mean, just... When you're talking about that, I mean, that, that might have worked in, like, the 18th century, but now, like, if the U.S. government really wanted to kill us, they could drop, like, nuclear bombs on us. You know, like, like an AR-15 is not going to stop a nuclear bomb. I mean that's true, but there's also other issues with dropping a nuclear bomb, and that that would make the land uninhabitable. It's, but it's not just. No, no, but, but the point I was trying to make is that like the the argument that it, it would stop the U.S. government from taking over, um, from taking us over is totally it's, no. it's totally fallacious. But typically, when a government takes over a country, they don't flip a switch and from one day to the next they have control over everyone. Typically, it's done. Uh, it's like a slippery slope. It starts with, like, gun, they take away the guns, and then they start checking people, and then the the police eventually get more power, and then it, be, it basically ramps up to a point where you feel like the government has no, uh, or the government has complete control over you. And the first step, at least what a lot of people feel, the first step to that is to take away guns, because obviously on a mass scale, guns aren't going to do a whole lot. But if you feel like you're being harassed by a police officer or whatever, or you feel like a police officer is threatening you, a gun may be what saves your life in that situation. In the context, but in the, in the context of mass protest, if you take a situation where people feel that you know the police do have too much power, or the police do the police and you know the anti-rioting squads do have or do abuse the power that they do have, don't you think it's it should be within the means of the people to protect themselves? Because there have been so many historical examples particularly in the last half a century that Will was talking about before, where in mass protest situations, the people in the protests, without really having any reason to have been, to have, you know, to be using so much violent force, have had violent force used against them. And those are situations where, you know, is it right for the people to always be at the beck and call of the police and the anti-rioting squads just, just out of respect for, you know, out of respect for a government, or out of respect for a police force, there should be there's something fundamental about having the right to protect yourself because just because it's a government and just because it's a police force, just you know, just because it's something that's meant to be there to, to protect us, doesn't mean they're always going to be doing the right thing to protect us. It might not be about the government one day deciding to drop a bomb on us, but in small situations where the where you know there are people who feel that they have the right to to, to use certain force against the people just because of their positions. Yeah, I, I don't contest our right to carry like a like a handgun, you know, but but where I draw the line is is these fully automatic military style weapons. I, I well, just don't think Well to be fair though, I mean to get an automatic weapon in the United States is extremely difficult, if not impossible in some states. It's not it's not like you can go down the street and just say uh, yeah, one automatic weapon, please. No, and, and also, <laughs> when you're saying military-style weapons, a lot of people use that as a cover for weapons that look scary. Because 
in actuality, like an AR-15 and a handgun, there's not a... I mean, a lot of times they shoot the same caliber round. The only difference is that one looks scarier than the other, one's bigger than the other, and in some cases, AR-15 will be more accurate. But yeah, I, com- I completely com- agree. Because when it comes to killing power, there's not a whole lot of difference. There, there was a picture I saw. It was a, it was a sarcastic picture about uh, the reactions to gun violence in the United States, and it was a picture of an AR-15, and it was pointing to the various things on the AR-15 and pointing to one, one mechanism and saying, well, this looks scary, so I'm sure it's pretty dangerous. But, you know, to concur with Matt... By your logic, Will, then all guns should be banned because there are so many different small weapons that can be used in not only a semi-automatic fashion but an automatic fashion that can do just as much damage as something yeah. like an AR-15. The and, advantage and, of an the advantage of an AR-15 in a lot of situations is you know it's it's more useful. It's more useful, especially in a military in, in the context of a military. But you know, in a situation where it's somebody who all they're out to do is kill, the functionality that comes from the functionality that comes from having an AR-15 doesn't necessarily differ between, or doesn't necessarily matter to that person, because, you know, the functionality is made for a lot of this, you know, made for the purpose of a lot of different situations. Yeah, and, um, oh, shoot, what was I going to Will, did you have something to say there? Uh, yeah, do you mind if I, if I uh, respond to that? Yeah, 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 go. Um, so I think, I think regardless of, uh, of, like, I really don't want to get into, like, technicalities, like, um, concerning guns, because I, I'm really not well-versed in that. I think um, the biggest thing we have to remember, though, is that gun violence was severely reduced by the Brady Bill um, and, and was only allowed to pick up after, um, after the George W. Bush administration let, um, let the assault weapons ban in the Brady Bill lapse. Well, I, I think it's not really a matter of like technicality. It's a matter of policy, honestly. Uh, well, I think um, I, I just want to put in here, because I, I just remember one thing I was going to um, and we've uh, And we've kind of let that... Uh, I, I think it's a it's a really straightforward sort of policy result that we should we should chase. Yeah. No, I just want to say yeah, I just remember what I was going to say before, but as a response to Sean or as something to add on, is that the majority of gun crimes and violent crimes that happen in the United States they don't use these like quote unquote assault weapons, the scary looking ones. A lot of times they are handguns, and a lot of it comes in the form of gang violence or whatever. Downtown Chicago, downtown Detroit, that's where most of this happens. Let me just put this. Um, let me just play devil's advocate for a second. Okay, so recently, you know, I'm you know my family likes to shoot. We go ranges all the time. Uh, most recently, I went to a place. I was in uh, Pennsylvania actually, and they have everything from 50 caliber sniper sniper rifles to the you know the smallest of handguns. And one of the things we were told when we got there was that my brother, he could shoot any rifle he wanted, but he could not shoot a handgun. And, you know, at first that seems counterintuitive. Okay, well, you know, the, the larger weapons seem, okay, scarier and more dangerous. But in actuality, the handguns are the ones that are easier to conceal and fight against. If you have somebody who's carrying, let's say, a sniper rifle or an AR-15, and you're in, let's say, you get in a situation where you have the opportunity to stop that person. Are you going to be able to stop them when it's a small weapon that's only a couple inches long that they can easily maneuver, hide, etc., etc.? Or is it going to be easier in a situation where they're carrying a weapon that's, you know, can be can even be like two to three feet long, and in a situation where you, you know, you're unarmed and you have the opportunity to stop them, you could reach out and make sure that you know you have the opportunity to push that weapon away. It seems like something really, you know, it seems like something that you wouldn't really think of. Okay, well, you know, maybe if I get in a situation with the shooter, that's not going to be the first thing that I think of. But you know. It reflects itself. Any in any little advantage you can get in situations. Any little advantage you can get in that situation. A small weapon helps. is a small weapon is easier to hide. Obviously, so there's the issue of concealment. 
It's uh, it's people with those weapons going to be more volatile because you can't necessarily stop them. It's not very easy to knock the gun out of somebody's hand when the gun's only a few inches long. So there are a lot of issues that we don't at first think of. So it's easy to point the finger at the people who have these assault weapons who obviously sound like the most dangerous people. But in actuality, those are some of the issues that a lot of people don't necessarily think of. All right, and yeah, I, um, just to uh, respond to that, I think um, I, I really liked what uh, I think Obama was talking about um, uh, a shooting. I think in uh, in Santa Barbara a while ago, he was he was talking about the lack of gun laws in this country, and he, and he said basically we don't have a monop like a monopoly on crazy people. You know, like other countries have the like roughly the same amount of crazy people as we do, but we have so many more you know shootings and so many more. Um, uh, deaths by gun violence, and I think it's it's really not as complicated as a lot of people make it out to be. I think just reducing the amount of guns is going to re is going to reduce the amount of violence in this country. Uh, I'm looking at a statistic here from the Cri Crime Prevention Research Center. It says that every place that has been banned that has banned guns has seen murder rates go up. And you, you can you really find a place that the direct ban of guns has uh, produced lesser cr lesser yeah. crime rates. Yeah, and to, to add on to what oh, yeah. Zach said, I mean, uh, the city of Chicago, yeah, as far as I know, once I will, as far as I know, the city of Chicago has pretty much banned most types of guns anyway. And there's, I mean, they're, they're one of the most violent cities in America. And okay, so, you know, I'm going to point at something that I've noticed recently too. And this is the idea of police on citizen crime. Now, again, um, sometimes I, I, you know, I see a lot of paradox in some of the arguments that certain demographics make. In this particular demographic, it's the demographic that says that you know the the police are getting out of the hand in the sense out of hand, in the sense that there's a lot of police on citizen crime because we've been our conversation has really been focused on crime, you know, gun gun crime in the context of citizen on citizen. Um, when you talk about police, now there's been plenty of examples recently about you know police getting into getting into issues with citizens, i.e. the the Zimmerman or not Zimmerman, um, but um, you know the Ferguson issue and so many recent examples that we can point to to say, okay, well it's the police forces now that have you know been part of the problem. But that same demographic is also the demographic that's saying that the answer to a lot of these questions is to eliminate a citizen's ability to protect his or herself and a lot of the things that we don't talk about often because you know it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to come up with statistics for how many people's lives are saved because they're carrying a weapon and it's hard you know it's 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 really hard to point to concrete numbers that show show it but you know fundamentally it makes sense you know you're in there are probably plenty of situations in which a weapon is something that saves somebody and you know I'm sure you could do a quick search on the internet and find plenty of stories about people who have you know, either been robbed in their homes or people who, I actually saw a video on YouTube where somebody came, some, it was a traffic incident and somebody got out of the car in front of him. I think it was a rear end, it was a rear end accident. And the uh, person that he hit in front of him got out of his car with a bat and was ready to bash in the window. I'm sure, you know, logically the next step was to bash in the guy's head. He steps out of the car. He takes his, he t takes the small handheld the small handgun that he's carrying points at the person with the bat. Person drops the bat, gets back into his car, leaves. Situation over. So, yeah, it's hard to come up with statistics of examples where guns have saved lives. But I did see a number the other day where uh, the number of situations, um, documented situations, where citizens have, citizens have used their weapons to 
protect themselves and you know whether or not they were or weren't situations where they thought they were protecting themselves was two million separate cases so let's assume that 75 percent of those cases are cases in which you know the the weapon was abused you still have more situations let's you so, so now you have five hundred thousand situations you still have more situations than those in which there's citizen and citizen gun violence and wrongful gun deaths and you're in that case you're assuming that 75 percent of the people who use them to protect themselves are doing it in the wrong way and i'm sure there are, you know you, you can assume that there's a lot of crazy people out there but you can also assume that there's plenty of responsible out people out there so the argument tends to focus on you know the issues where people are killed wrongfully but what about where people are shot rightfully? I know it sounds horrible, but what about situations where people are shot rightfully, where like people are protecting legitimate themselves? Legitimate self-defense situations? Exactly. Uh, well, another thing here to go along with Sean is that well, yeah, when, it, when actually, it comes to... Um, hold on. Uh, to answer Sean's question, I think um, we already do classify like self-defense situations in like a different category as, as we do murders. Yeah. No, well, the, the issue with self-defense situations, though, is that I'm sure that there's a lot of situations where somebody is deterred by the fact maybe they see somebody with a gun or whatever, there are situations where a crime never even starts, never, there's no report of it, there's no record of it, nobody except the person, except the perpetrator even know that there was a gun that deterred them. There's situations like that, that will never be recorded, that are, that are basically gun-stopping crimes. How easy would it have been the other day for the same guy who shot the reporter and the cameraman to do it with a different weapon? Yeah, a gun may have been easier, but... He was determined yeah. to do something. He was the, determined the, the way, to reach the way, an end. The way he did it, and if you see the video from his perspective, it really doesn't matter what weapon he used. I'm sure he could have taken a pencil and stabbed them with that, and it would have worked based on the situation. It's absolutely horrifying. But also, I mean, we've talked about the gun control aspect of this for a while. I want to jump a little bit into the mental health aspect because I have some ideas here. I want to hear what you guys have to say. And uh, just to use an analogy here, well, this is the problem with mental health. Is that if it if you compare it to physical health, if you have a broken leg or a torn ACL or something, you have a surgery, you have rehab, and then you're healed. You don't have to worry about it again, and it's you can't function normally until you've done, gone through the process. And then once you go through the process, it's over. But the problem with mental health is that, I mean, it is very tough to gauge because you really only have two indicators of somebody's mental health. And that's what they say to you and their behavior, and both of which you are very easy to deceive people with. And that's why, I mean, somebody like this, you look at his history and say, well, he obviously should have had some issues, cause, or he, he obviously should have had some therapy or something because he had a violent past. But you can't force him to go into treatment. And even if you force him to go see a therapist, there's no telling that he's actually going to try with it because when you go to a therapist you actually have to say, you have to say things and if he doesn't say anything there's nothing you can do he's just going to stay that way forever very tough well, to I, I think the easy fix uh to that is is just to uh to mandate that everyone who wants to buy a gun or buy like a say like a massive rifle has to go get like a like a mental health checkup well the, the problem with that though but, is uh, i mean like what i said is that really easy to get well then well like the the problem with that though is that like I said before, you can if it's a mental health evaluation, you can lie or you can alter behavior. A lot of people who have mental health problems, serious issues, they hide it in a way so that nobody around them knows they have an issue. And it's only when you look back, you start to say, wow, I really should have seen that. But with what you know at the time, you, had, you would have no idea. And in a mental health evaluation, it would be very tough to pick on, up on who should and shouldn't have a gun. 
And as another a side note to that, I mean, if you want to look at something like things, professional evaluation, we have to trust the um, uh, like the psychologist or wh- whoever does it. I don't, I don't even know how it works. Yeah, but then, yeah. but then, how do you legit? How do you like legit? Professionals do it right, you know. But like, how do you legislate that then? Like, do, do you do you say then, you know, everybody? I know this is an extreme example, but just to prove my point, do you say then that everybody who has ADHD can't own a weapon? Like, how do you prove who, you know, how do you prove, you know, who's the people that? You yeah. should be afraid of yeah, you know? because I mean you'll have to if you're doing it you have to set some kind of hard deadline or hard cap somewhere as to who can and can't own guns. Have, no matter how you do that, it's going to be unfair to some people because if you say, "Well, have they ever been to a therapist?" Well, then I can't get a gun, but I'm pretty sure most of the people around me would say he's a stable guy. I don't think he's going to go around shooting people. But I mean, there, there's it's definitely a really, really important element because you know in this particular case he was you know he was a man like we said before. That had already had a situation where he had I mean, he, he had violent the tendencies because he demonstrated violent. Te- that's completely independent of his mental health status. He had already been violent, and in the case of, for example, the Sandy Hook shooter, um, the mother had already reported that she, you know, basically didn't know what to do with her child and that she was afraid that he wasn't mentally stable. So. But if, if I'm remembering that situation correctly, the mother was also afraid of taking him to therapy or something because. She basically didn't want somebody to say there was something wrong with her son. Well, there's the. Uh, she basically but, wanted to pretend that he was okay. And that's the problem. That's you know that's the that's the the bigger problem is that there's a stigma that surrounds it. There's a yeah. stigma that makes it hard for people who you know have mental illness to to go and speak to somebody and make sure yeah. that they're cared for yeah. correctly. Yeah. Well, another thing yeah, I, I, I want to say. Another thing I want to say here is that I'm, my mom's a nurse and she deals with people who have mental issues all the time. But I mean, one of the things she said is that. Like here around us, we have Fairfield Hills, for which, for those who don't know, is a, used to be a mental asylum for people who had mental health issues, and it's since been closed because it was very inhumane. But the thing is, since I mean, a lot of the mental asylums have since been closed because they were not run very well, and a lot of the people who would have been in them are now on the streets, maybe not seeing any therapy. And I'm not saying a Fairfield Hills style thing is the answer. But I think you need to have a place where people who have serious issues, who cannot perform in society, can go and live, uh, basically receive treatment and live a healthy life where they're not going to hurt themselves or other people. I think also... Uh, in- yeah, and um, actually, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, the uh, what happened was in the 80s, uh, Reagan Reagan's budget, a lot of Reagan's budgets did strip out a lot of federal funding for mental health facilities. Um, and so that's that's why we have a lot of people like a lot of people who have mental issues out on the street. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, this is why mental health is such a tough issue because there's like, it, it's such a generic term. There's so many issues that fall under it because under mental health is everything from, I get I get depressed during the winter to I see strange people and I want to kill them, and. It's very tough to differentiate between those because you're relying on the person to tell you. It's uh, it's very. I'm not. I mean, as it is right now, I don't have an answer to the question. I don't. Know, I don't know if anybody else does. I mean, one thing we could hope for is advances in the scientific fields, so that we maybe something with brain chemistry or whatever, so that we can get more exact diagnoses on people who have mental health issues, and we can give them medicine or whatever to help them. But no, I mean, no matter how you slice it, it's gonna be a problem. And somebody gets hurt because if we keep things as they are, well, no matter what, there's still going to be shootings and murders and killings. And you get rid of guns; those probably don't go away, or they might get lessened, but they're not going to go away entirely. 
And you're going to have a lot of people who are really, really upset by the changes. And depending on how you implement it, it might start a civil war, looking at you, Texas. And, I mean, if you attack around the mental health throughout, you're going to have a lot of people who are mentally healthy who end up in some kind of asylum. And a lot of people who are not mentally healthy that still end up out on the streets. I mean, I don't have an answer. I don't know if anybody else here does or any suggestions. You know, it's hard to obviously it's, it's it's hard to come up with a real concrete legislative way that we can deal with the issue. But, you know, the thing is that it's an issue and in every single well, not necessarily every single one of these cases, but in a lot of cases, it's been a common denominator. I also wanted to shift the conversation and see what you guys think about this. Now, you know, looking at common denominators, we have already talked a, bit, a few about a few things. You know, we've talked about the consequences of having, you know, gun free, gun, a gun free country and an armed society. We've talked about mental health, but there's also another common denominator, and that's been the situation here and in the Charleston shootings, and that was people who wanted to incite a race war, and whether or not they were mentally healthy or mentally unstable is irrelevant. I think, you know, another thing we definitely have to talk about, and it's another thing that I don't have an answer for, but, you know, it's the culture that we've created, even in recent years. I've You know, I don't think it was ever that bad for as long as I can remember in my lifetime. I think that, you know, the racial, the racial issues that surround it have become, you know, definitely extremely significant in this particular conversation because you know they both they both had a particular ends that they wanted to achieve and i think the most amazing thing that i've ever seen is when the families after charleston were saying you know we forgive you and they were staying there bawling their eyes out but they were saying that we forgive you because i think you know people don't realize the picture that sometimes you know not necessarily intentionally but the picture that news media creates when you know every single time uh, we look up on TV and we look at somebody, you know, we look at somebody who's black, as in the in the case of Ferguson or as in the case of Zimmerman. And, you know, when you have people out there, maybe not intentionally so, but when you have people who make these into very, very racial issues, it only inflames the tension that there already is. And, and to go with that, I mean, black. I mean, if you look at it, the media takes issues like this and basically, I mean, the media from a lot of times will portray things. They'll basically split things into two sides and you're either on one side or the other which is great for TV ratings, but the problem is that mentality then becomes part of the culture, and that's the issue we have right now, is a lot of people look at it, especially with issues like Ferguson and police violence, they're saying, well, either the police are right or the citizens are right. And the fact is, that's not necessarily true. You can have situations where sometimes, like the guy in Ferguson, he probably, it looks like the cop was innocent there. But that doesn't mean that police brutality isn't an issue in other places. And I think that's an important thing. Because, same thing with the racial issues. You know, in the context of these conversations about violence, though, it's, you know, with every single discussion we have about taking away people's means to do violence, i.e. weapons, um, you know, you're really cutting the weed above the root and you're not, you know, solving the, solving the real problem. Because in every case, violence is a means. Violence is a means towards an end. And, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to say that every single time the object of recent crimes has been to incite a race war, but you're, you know, you're still cutting the weed above the root and letting it grow back again because, yeah, we can talk about taking away people's means to do so, but that doesn't get rid of the problem that already exists. That doesn't get rid of the motivation for people to, you know, to hurt one another. And I think if you look in other countries where, you know, for example, Switzerland and countries where, you know, there is a lot of gun ownership, I think something, you know, I was doing a little research earlier, something I noticed was that mental health was excellent, but also, you know, and I don't, I don't have any concrete evidence whatsoever to support this, but, you know, perhaps maybe if you look at those countries, the relationship amongst the citizens is much stronger. You know, maybe there is, you know, 
a better sense of patriotism and duty in the country. Maybe there's a better sense of unity in the country. Whereas in the United States, there's 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 such a sense of division. Like, you know, I think especially recently, one of the you know the earmarks of American, not necessarily American politics, but also the way we think of other citizens is division. We, you know, you know, just think about what you're saying for one day, and you know, try to take note of how many times you point your finger at someone else. It's you know, there's I don't and, think there's... And, and not not just point your finger at somebody else. Point your finger at a whole group of people. Because a lot of times people, I mean, going back to Ferguson, people will say, oh, well, the police killed a black guy. All police must hate all black people. Mm -hmm. And they basically take things to extremes, put it, divide it into two groups and say you're with one or the other. And like I said before, I think that's now unfortunately become a part of American culture. And I think that's something we have to try to change. And it's, you know, it's the fallacious argument that you always have to watch out for. It's, you know, we assume that the part applies to the whole. In the case of police, some assume that because there's one bad apple when it comes to the police, they're all bad people. People assume when it comes to races, you know, for example, if somebody commits a racist crime, maybe the entire group is racist. And it's the entire, you know, part to whole fallacious argument that we've always used. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to posit my innocence here. You know, I'm saying, you know, I'm guilty of it all the time. But, you know, just to look at some of the issues that we have within the country, it's, you know, when's the last time we've really been a unified country? When's the last time we've really I been think it's part of our heritage to be divided, you know, I think um I think our government was set up to be divided so we can have sort of like a compromise between two competing um ideas for where the country should go. I think um I think we've always kind of like been divided that way. Yeah. All right, I just got to break in here for a second cuz we are getting to the end of this, so let's start to wrap things up. Hold on, I just want to say one thing. Um, yeah. About the divided. Quick. I, you know, that's actually a really interesting point, Will. And, you know, looking at it from that perspective, I completely agree. There's something about division that definitely helps. But that's political division. That's not yeah. necessarily... And, and the thing is, there's there's a difference between division where you have two set, two points of view and then you look at each one and look at it based on merit and basically seeing how you feel about, like, Republican or Democrat. But in this, it's an angry division. It's a violent division, which isn't helping anyone. Nobody looks at the other point of view and says, you know what? They might be right. We're, we don't have that. We're not sitting, you know, it's not like we're sitting on, you know, we're not, it's not, we're not, it's, uh, it's not like we're sitting on, uh, across an aisle and we're arguing about our political beliefs or we're arguing and, you know, making sure that our division leads to good ends. It's like, we're arguing we're, in the streets with weapons and we're and killing, and, we're, you know, yeah. we're killing over an aisle, we're hurting over an aisle, we're committing crimes over an aisle. It's, you know, obviously d division in that sense is definitely very, very beneficial, but in, you know, different contexts, it's, it kills. All right, and I gotta, we gotta wrap this up here. So I say we bring it back to the main topic that we started with, which is basically gun control and mental illness and what we should do. And just to kind of summarize my point of view here, and we'll go around and everybody kind of summarize how they're feeling after this. I mean, I have to say, gun control may be an answer, but I think it would be a temporary one. I feel like that would just be putting a band aid on the mental health issue. And I also think we brought up some really great points when it comes to division in this country, which is basically that until we fix the division and until we basically stop the stop the overall tone of violence in this country, no matter what weapons we have, no matter what mental health programs we institute, the issues are, we're still going to have these issues. Yeah, and I guess the way I'm going to wrap up, I'm going to keep it really, really short because I could go on forever about this. And the last thing that I think I'm going to say is that is something I said before. It's it's simply that gun control stops gun violence but it doesn't stop violence All right, and will you want to wrap up uh yeah i think overall to um to reduce the amount of gun violence in this country we have to um to address the problem um from the ground up i think we have to uh, invest in our mental health programs uh 
and and um, institute background checks. Um, but also we have to uh, to make sure that um, that a lot of these military style weapons aren't allowed in the streets, and I think and aren't allowed to uh, pl- proliferate. All right. And uh, I think we've now pretty much heard from everyone, got all of our viewpoints in here. And um, with that, I think we'll call it quits on episode four. So uh, thanks for listening. And this is Conversation of Political Podcast signing off.